This program is brought to you by Grand Valley State University. Uh, my name is Frank Boring, and this interview is for the Library of Congress Veterans History Project. If we could begin with your, and boy, this is going to get complicated, your name, <laughs> I mean the full part, uh, and where and when were you born? My name is Miriam Dolores Brumfield White. I was born in Pritchard, Alabama, May the 26th, 1932. And what is the name that you go by when you sign your, your, your checks and whatnot, and what is the name you go by in baseball? Today, I sign my checks as Dolores B. White. And when I sign autographs for baseball, I sign Dolly Brumfield. Okay, we got that straight for the record now. Yes, I hope. <laughs> what was your early childhood like? I was one of three children. I was the oldest of three. And we lived uh, in the early years near an elementary school. And a block away was also a junior high school. So my playground at the school was where I grew up, where I preferred to play the things that uh, the boys were playing, the baseball, the football, and all the other things. You know, we, were near the, we were on the school ground most of the time. Sometimes in the neighborhood, I remember some of the childhood games we used to play. Under the house was a good clay pit, and we could throw clay balls at each other and this type of thing. But uh, primarily grew up on the school playground. The uh, junior high school had a baseball field, and so that was a time when the men used to come to play baseball after their work years in, in the work days in the uh, shipbuilding area during the war. What did your father do for a living? My father was an automobile mechanic. So was my dad. <laughs> Excuse me. And your mother was a, a homemaker? Homemaker, yes, okay. until the war. Okay. And uh, during the war, she then took her skills at typing and shorthand into the business world and worked with an insurance company. So Pritchard was a, a, a fairly good-sized town? Pritchard is North Mobile, really, at that time. That's the, the location. We were really Mobile, but it was a kind of a suburb of Mobile, but it was Independent City. It's known as Pritchard, Alabama. But it was pretty good size because uh, that days, at that time, it was the fifth largest city in the state of Alabama. But, uh, okay. okay. Um, how do you remember? Uh, you, you were talking about the war. So, do you remember Pearl Harbor when it when it happened? How did you hear about it? Well, I, I heard about uh, Pearl Harbor because our next door neighbor had a son at Hickam Field, so that made it very personable. And I do remember some of the the early and early happenings, and particularly the day, December the 7th of 41. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I can't do the math here, but how old were you, approximately? At which time? At, at Pearl Harbor. So well, I must have been about nine. Yeah, okay, all right. So you were old enough to recognize that something big was happening. Something was happening, yeah. yes. Yeah, okay. So um, you, you, you spent a lot of your time playing in the, the, the school. Uh, your backyard, in a sense, was the playground, was, was the baseball diamond and all that. How did that work out? I mean, you're a girl. How could you play baseball? Well, I was called the tomboy of the neighborhood. I did not like paper dolls, and that's what the girls were playing. You'd cut out these paper dolls and have little tea sets, and that, that never appealed to me. Uh, I'd rather have the bean pole and do the pole vaulting over the neighbor's bushes or the, around the, the school were big ditches and we'd pole vault across the ditches. 
those were the things that were more interesting to me. And of course, we always had the basketball games, the football games, the baseball games. And so that was the environment in which I grew up. Um, <clears throat> looking back now um, and playing baseball with, with the boys, how, how good were you as a young kid? I mean, how good were you? Were you a fairly good batter? Did you pitch? Did you, I mean, how, how, how were you as a player? Well, on the playground, we played a game called workup. You got to do everything. Uh, that, and they would let me play with them. Sometimes they weren't too happy about it, but they would let me play with them. Uh, I only remember one incident I had trouble with a neighborhood boy who didn't uh, approve of something I did. I've even forgotten now, but on the way home from the ball game, I was riding my bike and he turned around and he thought, I guess I was riding at him, I was not. But he lived next door and he was older and he turned and threw his glove and hit me in the middle, knocked me off my bicycle. I'm usually very peaceful, but at that time I was not. Junior Cassidy was the one. I went home, I got, I don't, I think I got my bat. But anyway, I went back and met him before he got home and chased him around the neighborhood before he knocked me off, made me mad. But anyway, uh, I didn't catch him, but I was after him around the house across the street and all. He was yelling for his mama the whole way. She came and got him in the house. I was glad of that. And many years later, as we were adults, uh, we, we enjoyed talking about it. So, but uh, that was one of the early ones. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to play most of the games and most of the time, most of the times peacefully. Mm -hmm. That's the one event that I can recall that was not very peaceful. And I guess one of the maddest times I got, my father was home at the time because we were going home for supper. And he wanted to know, Dolores, what are you doing? And I went on out of the house and Daddy followed me. So they had to come get me, but his mama got him in the house in time. Now, um, high school, did you get a chance to play uh, any kind of organized sports in high school? There were no sports for girls in Alabama, at least in my part of Alabama at that particular time. Mobile Public Schools had no sports for girls. So what was your way of playing sports? Were you still like with the children? Did you still have these pickup game type of things? On the playground, the playground of the school. And during the war, they did start some organized, but there were none for me. I had no opportunity. I actually came into the league without any team experience. So right around, I believe it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe right around 15, something happened to kind of change your life. Was it 15? Uh, 14. 14, okay. I'll make it back even, how about 13? Okay, all right, let's go there. <laughs> in 1946, the All-American League came to Pascagoula, Mississippi for their spring training. Mr. Max Carey was the president of the league at the time, and the fellows of, from the shipyard used to let me play with them on when they would come to practice on the junior high diamond. If somebody was missing, they'd let me fill in that spot. And on occasion, they would even let me play a position if there were opportunity presented itself where they needed somebody. And so they were the ones that uh, actually got me started. And when this league was down in Pascagoula, it was in the Mobile Press Register that they were gonna have tryouts and so forth. And so some of the guys went to my parents and wanted to take me to the tryouts. 
But my uh, mother says, no, uh, if you think she should go, I'll take her. So uh, one April afternoon, 1946, we borrowed my grandmother's car because Daddy had to go to work in our car. And she took me out of school, and we drove to Pascagoula, Mississippi, where I actually tried out. And after I had done all the things Mr. Carey asked me to do, the hit-and-run throw business, uh, he asked me how old I was. He wasn't until after I had done all those things. He asked me how old I was. So I told him, well, I'm 13, but I'll soon be 14. But he says, we don't take the girls that young. And my, he, sa he went over to talk to my mother and says, Miss Brumfield, we don't take the girls this young. Mother said, I didn't want you to take her. I don't even know what you thought. So that was my tryout period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to stop you just for a moment, mm -hmm. though. Um, <clears throat> did you grow up fairly quickly? I mean, you must have been a, a, a taller girl than most of the girls. Or, I mean, 13 years old looks like a 13-year-old. How would they? I was very slender at that time and not very large at all. Huh. Uh, I guess I'm down to five, six now being elderly, but uh, at that time about five, probably five, six, five, seven. Okay, but uh, that's, that's fairly tall for a 13-year-old, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. were you taller than your other I was. I guess I was taller. I have a picture at home, pictured with, with my father with one of the fish he caught out of Mobile Bay, and my brother sent, he's six, 16 months younger than I am but I'm a head taller than he is, so I guess maybe I was a little tall for my age. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. probably so. <clears throat> um, when you played uh, with the, the men, the men uh, before they, they came to your mom and said that you should go mm -hmm. and try out for this, mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're talking about men that are, that are already in their teens and 20s, and we're talking about well, grown men playing baseball. We're talking, remember, this is World War II. Yeah. These guys have been in the shipyards. They came from all over. One of my favorite guys was a guy from Mississippi who played. He was a tall, slender guy, but he wore brogan shoes. I don't know if you remember the old high-top work boots or work shoes that they, they played in. I mean, we, we're talking about uh, schoolyard teams. We're not talking about organized teams as such. It's more sure. uh, like teams getting together to play. Sure. And had, but still, they must have known you were playing pretty well to be able to play with well, I was them. Well, I was at the ball field every day when they got home. And when they came over to practice, I was there. And so they would let me play catch with them and all. Uh, that, that type of thing. There was a place we used to go to, Alabama Village, which was in Mobile at that particular time. Mobile was one of the major industrial areas for, during World War II. And there were a lot of uh, housing areas that uh, grew up at that time, uh, Alabama Village being one of them. And where this ball diamond was with this junior high school was called Pritchard Homes, which was another housing project during the war. So uh, they'd play one against the other, but never uniforms and organized like that. But still, somebody's throwing a pretty hard ball at you, oh. and you're having to hit a ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, at 13 now, your mother uh, reveals that uh, um, you're glad that she's, you're not going to be taken. So what happened? What what, what happened at third? What happened? You went back home. Went back home. Yeah. And uh, how'd it, you feel? Well, at that particular time, I I didn't know. I didn't know at the time whether I thought I was going to go anywhere anyway, because I was just trying out. But uh, one of the, I guess interesting things there was a fellow by the name of Bill Minton, as my mind reminds me. He was a local sports broadcaster and also worked at a sporting goods store. And I guess kind of I feel like I was meant to be a baseball player because Mr. Carey lost my name. And so 
they were coming to Mobile and, and were asking about this girl that tried out and they didn't know. And I had gone into the sporting goods store uh, to buy a pair of shoes and uh, in talking to him about it and, oh, you must be the one. And so uh, that's how they got my name back to Mr. Carey. And uh, that year in June, I tried out in April, they finally found me in May there. And, in June when school was out, school years were quite different as then, than they are today. But uh, they, uh, he wrote my parents and wanted me to go to uh, Chicago to be put on one of the teams because I had never had the opportunity to be on a girls team. And uh, the parents said, no, you shouldn't go. That's, that's too far, too much. So the next year in November, I received a letter from Mr. Carey that says we're going to Havana, Cuba for spring training and we would like for Dolores to be one of a, f a few girls that we ask. I forget how many he said. I have, at one time had a letter, a copy of that, and I think it's in Cooperstown, that said how many girls that they were going to take, new girls. And uh, so that's uh, kind of the way that all happened. Now, and had you ever heard were, of Cuba before? Oh, I think so. I heard of Cuba, but okay. uh, there was another girl from Mobile. Yeah. Her name was Margie Hogerson. And she also tried out in 1946 and was selected for, to, and she pitched for the Rockford Peaches. Over that winter, Mr. Carey sent her out to meet me and to meet my parents. And then it was time for spring training to be in April. And I'm in school. Now I've got to quit school in order to go to Havana, Cuba. So Margie was my chaperone and we went by train to Havana Oh, well, first we went to Miami, where we met up with all the girls from everywhere else, and then we flew over to my uh, to Havana for spring now, training. Now I want to stop you here. Okay. Had you traveled outside of your immediate area and at any distance before that? Only to my grandparents in Mississippi. Okay, but still in the South. Still, still in the South. Okay. Both my parents were from Mississippi, but uh, my mother and dad met in Mobile and okay. married in Mobile, so. Okay. All of us were born and raised in that area. Okay. So now you arrive in Miami, mm -hmm. and you're meeting girls from all over the country? Yes, and Canada. And Canada. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was that experience like? Very interesting. Uh, I've always been interested in people. I don't know whether it was that experience uh, that led me to that interest in names. I've always uh, been interested in that. Uh, the it was just exciting time, the very idea I'd ridden a train. I was in a different area. I didn't know anybody but Margie. Uh, and then we were flown over to, to Havana in the Sevilla Biltmore Hotel. Uh, I can remember very well one of the older girls, was, there, were, there were several of us in a room, and you know, joining rooms and this type of thing. And uh, my, my problem was that I said, yes, ma'am and no sir, and which was the way I was brought up to do. And this one gal from Detroit says, don't ma'am me. <laughs> and so I, that was a strange experience. Uh, but most of the girls were, were friendly enough. Sure. I was uh, put with the Fort Wayne Daisies for my spring training that year. But uh, at the end of, maybe get too far beyond, but yeah. all the tryout business, I, at the end of the spring training, I was selected to be on a team, and I was put with the South Bend Blue Sox. Okay. I want to uh, address two, two questions. <clears throat> One, 
was that you were much younger than most of these girls. Is that correct? That's correct. I only know of one other girl that was younger than I that came into the league and uh, later on she uh -huh. was a, a month younger than I. Okay. But a lot of the girls came into the league at 15. Now, did you have, was there any, um, uh, did you notice anything uh, that you were treated any differently because you were younger than them? The chaperone took care of that. The most important part of the experience was taken over by the chaperone. The chaperone determined where you, where you lived, who you roomed with, this type of thing. She was very uh, selective. Uh, so she made sure that if any, there wasn't going to be any kind of rousing no. or, or they weren't going to tease you because you were younger? Or? I, I didn't have any of that. Okay, good. We were there for spring training. We were there for business. Uh, there were places I didn't go, things I didn't do uh, that the older girls did. Uh, but that was all right with me. Yeah, yeah. Now, <clears throat> how did you deal with the fact that they all talked so funny? Well, that was funny. <laughs> That was funny. I couldn't understand some of them. They couldn't understand me. But uh, it, was, uh, it was just an interesting experience. Uh, the spring training in Havana in 47 uh, was a highlight for me. And as I look back, so many fond memories come out of that particular time. Well, I guess what I'd like to get at is, um, <clears throat> was there any, I know I've been through experiences in my life where when they're going on, you're just doing them. You're not realizing that it's something special or it's something unusual. Mm -hmm. Did you have any sense of, I'm in Cuba, I'm playing baseball. I'm Shoot, no, I just had a uniform and I could go on the field and I, got, I could play and uh, do what I love to do. And uh, didn't make that much at that particular time. There are some pictures in uh, Life magazine coming down the steps of Havana, Cuba. Uh, just kind of a wave of us coming down. Uh, I kind of enjoy thinking about that one. And the people that I met, that was, that was some, you know, that was so important to me that I met people from all over everywhere. Margie had gotten me there, but then Margie was with the Rockford Peaches and I didn't see her much anymore. Now I've got to deal with all these new people. How was it playing with all the girls? That was fine. You know, you're in spring training, you're doing everything. You're doing the exercise, the calisthenic approach to things. At that particular time, they didn't think girls are to have weights or be in weight rooms. Uh, that all came much later. I remember, hopefully that gets me in a whole new, new area of how the football coaches are very idea when won't you in their training rooms. But, um, Baseball, I mean, calisthenics exercises, uh, running, sprints, uh, exercise, spring, your infield training, and that type of thing. Okay. Um, for that particular uh, team in Cuba, what position did you play? It was about everything, mostly infield, but okay. uh, I don't remember it being put in any one position. Okay. Just general, general skills, mm -hmm. running, hitting, throwing. Now you say Life Magazine was there taking pictures. There was a picture. Uh, well, I wasn't aware of it, but there is a Life Magazine picture of the girls coming down by teams. Right. So uh, where did you stay in Cuba? The Sevilla Hotel, Sevilla Biltmore Hotel. Okay. And this was a nice place? Oh, yeah. yeah. Now had you stayed in a hotel before? No. <laughs> the interesting thing, I guess, is I remember 
at uh, that particular time. There were people riding around in jeeps with guns, which was very different. This was when the, before the overthrow of government. And we were not allowed to go out by ourselves. We went in groups. And uh, one of the interesting things as I look back is there were always fellows standing across the street from the hotel. And there were balconies out from the room. I had to learn about things like that. But uh, Havana itself was a, a beautiful place. One of the interesting things to me was there, there were only two stoplights in the whole city. <laughs> and the congestion of, of traffic. The sidewalks are about half the size of the sidewalks we think of them. And the, the buildings were built right up to the corners. And as I understood it, the first one to blow his horn had the right-of-way. Made interesting traffic. But it was very difficult to walk around the, some parts of the city, but then they had great plazas that I did like to, to go down. And we got to go into the Capitol building itself and uh, do some touring. And I had a chance in the next year to go back to Havana for some games. So tell us about the games, the first, the first season, the first time. What, what were those like? Who were you playing against? And uh, what were the, for example, when did you get up in the morning? What was your routine like? Well, as you can imagine, you're traveling most of the time. The traveling part, packing a bag, taking care of laundry, doing those types of things, getting on the bus, being on time. Uh, we toured going back. When we came back to the States, we were doing tours all the way back. Uh, I remember playing in Havana, Charleston, uh, Roanoke, places like that. Uh, well, one of my memories at that particular time, and I must uh, share that one with you, is we were in Charleston, and my mother and grandmother rode a Greyhound bus from Mobile to Charleston in order to see me, because I had been away from home now for several weeks and I was, had been selected to be on the team. And uh, they rode the bus and came in. We had been on the bus all night, riding from one city to the other. When my mother comes in early that morning, knocking on the door, I'm just getting in bed, she's knocking on the door. And so she comes in and I say something to her and, and she is upset that I'm talking the way I'm, you're not gonna play this game if you're gonna talk like these Yankees. That was going to be a no-no, but uh, anyway, it worked out all right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I th think about it, what they must have endured on the bus ride, if you can imagine a Greyhound bus ride from Mobile uh, all the way to Charleston just to, just to check in, see if I was okay. Did they watch the game? <coughs> they saw us play, I guess. Yeah. I don't have memories, okay. specific memories of that. Right. Uh, we did play uh, different cities as we worked our way back. Okay. And then we flew from Roanoke, Virginia, back into South Bend. Did you write letters home? Oh, yeah. Some of those are on file in Cooperstown. So really the way you communicated, and they knew that you really were okay. I mean, I, they had to be wondering what's going on. With they my... wanted <laughs> to find out. Yeah. They, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, your first season that you played, uh, in, and you played in Cuba, mm -hmm. and you also traveled, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What happened in the off-season? Where'd you go? Went back to school. I had dropped out of school, so I had to go back and make up uh, some time. It cost me another semester in high school, mm -hmm. 
but at that time we only had 11 years of public education anyway in Alabama. So uh, it just cost me 11 and a half years to finish because I had missed a, one course that you can't take the next course until you've had the previous course. So I think one of my, one of my favorite stories about that particular time is in 1948, which was the second year I played, I wanted to go to spring training, and I'm in high school, Murphy High School Mobile. And I had to get my teacher's permission to take two weeks out of school to go to spring training. Spring training uh, that year was in South uh, Florida, Opelika, Florida, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. And all my teachers had to sign me permission for me to go. Well, didn't all, but the worst one was my Spanish teacher. Uh, and she always made, a, made you feel very bad when she'd get you before the class. This is a young lady that wants to go, and she made me, uh, made it known that if I didn't pass that class, it wasn't her fault. If I was gonna go to Havana, Cuba, and be gone for all, all that time. Well, I did go, and I did go back to Cuba. It was, uh, it was sp uh, the spring training was in South Florida, but we went a trip back over to Havana. But uh, when I came back, she, uh, I was gone two weeks and three days, and so that's when she said, this young lady's been gone two weeks and three days. See, I got back on a Wednesday, I went to school on Thursday, they had a cumulative test on Friday for what I had missed. And uh, she didn't realize that when I was in South Florida, some of the teammates were Cubans and were helping me with my, with my Spanish. And I was getting to go to Havana with Spanish. And so, uh, you know, she was really pointing me out. I was doomed for failure. Made the second highest grade in class. After that, the next year she, when I came to school, because I was always late because of the season, she met me in the, class, in the hallway and took me to the principal's office to be sure I was taking second year Spanish. So that's, uh, but she was a pretty tough teacher and she made a point that I had done all these things and missed school and, and taken out of class. But, uh, but I you were smart though by <clears throat> getting somebody who actually speaks Spanish to work with you like that. See. Because you were actually getting a better education with, with, traveling. Them, with traveling and with them and in Cuba because yeah. you're hearing all that as well as the kids in school didn't have that. They just had whatever they had in, in class. That's right. That's pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mickey Perez was one of uh, the girls, the Cuban girls that really helped me. And we would write letters back and forth to each other. And uh, we're good friends. They never played on the same team, but uh, she was very helpful to me. And uh, that, but anyway, this was one of the toughest teachers in Murphy High School. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm gonna ask you an indelicate question now. How's your Spanish today? Un poco. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Although I think about it often. If, yeah. if I have an opportunity, I would think with the language being done today, I'd like yeah. to go back and try to, try to get involved with it again. Because yeah. I didn't have conversational, much conversational at that time reading and writing sure. and very little but un poco. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I know this is kind of a tough question because it goes so far back and we're only two years into your, your, your career here, but did you at any time 
in those first couple of seasons think this could be my job, this could be my career? Not long term, one year at a time, because I'm playing ball in the summer, I'm going to school in the winter. I was always late getting back to school, but I was a pretty good st uh, student, mm -hmm. so I made it up all right. Well, I got to be that senior that had to have a special class that took me into another semester. Uh, but like I say, we only had 11 years of school anyway at that time. Now, you were really young, so maybe this is not a fair question, but did you have any idea what you wanted to do? At that time, no, because uh, I really was so young and uh, so early in my school career, we had, had, I had not even had physical education until I went to the high school. And I think, I, mean, I think the physical education teacher at the Murphy High School uh, were very influential in that. Also, the experience that I had, a lot of the girls who played in the league and friends that I had were going to college. Many of them also were teachers. At that particular time, that was one of the opportunities that women had. The opportunities were very limited, what can girls do. And educate. if you could get the education, you could teach. And uh, so that uh, the emphasis on education was there to go on and to teach. My element, I mean, my gym teachers mm -hmm. were, were good for me. Okay. So <clears throat> the second time that you toured with the group to Cuba, to Havana, and to, to other mm -hmm. places, what was the next step? Okay. Remember, I only went there for two weeks spring training and get to go back to high school. Okay, right. I had to go back to high school. Right. And then, during that interim period, I find out that I'm no longer with the South Bend Blue Sox. I'm now with the Kenosha Comets. So when I catch the train now to go to Chicago and to be uh, on the new team, I have to get to Kenosha. So I have to now travel by myself, by train, to get to uh first to Chicago and then into Kenosha. And now I have a new chaperone, but Mrs. Moore in South Bend, I have to give her credit, a great deal of credit, uh, where she placed me, with whom she placed me, and the location that she placed me. The chaperones were very important. I hope that, that we're going to give them good credit, especially for the younger girls that came into the league. They always uh, arrange for your housing and who your roommates were, then when you're on the road, you also controlled who you were live, uh, rooming with, that type of thing. So what were their, you, you mentioned just now in terms of what they did for, for the, the, the rooms and, and making the arrangements and all that sort of mm -hmm. organization. What were their jobs really? What were their duties? The chaperone was a charge, in charge of everything. They were the trainer. They were the business person. Uh, they had to see, you know, you had to have the uniforms, you had to get the first aid. If you had to see a doctor, they went with you, they made the appointments. They arranged where you're going to uh, live, who you're going to live with. Uh, the first assigned places I had was in walking distance of the ball field and uh, with another girl from the south. I thought, you know, I thought that was important too. And into a home where there, there were no children. The, uh, the husband worked at Sears. He was an usher at the ballpark at night. And then his wife was a homemaker. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite stories is my 15th birthday. I'm still tur turning 15. Uh, Mr. Warner uh, had to do the tour of what you did. He, he gave me this 15 licks for, in those days, you got a lick for every year. 
I'm till 15, and then I got one to grow on. Uh, she baked me a cake, and I was able to go with uh, my teammates, some of them. Here I am, the rookie, but I got to go to the radio show uh, for the Knothole Gang, for the younger girls that were playing in South Bend. And the sponsor gave me a beautiful sweater, and they gave uh, the birthday things over the radio. That night at, uh, at the ballpark, I always was assigned to sit by the manager, Chet Grant. And then uh, that night, they pushed me out of the dugout in front of everybody during the seventh, seventh inning, and they play a song on the big uh, microphone, yeah. I'm a big girl now. I want to be treated like a big girl now. And that was uh, one of my special memories of that, that year. It was my 15th birthday. They, uh, they gave me the cake and the ice cream and all that business at, at home, Ms., Mr. and Ms. Warner. And then I got to call home. That was a special. That sounds like a magic moment. It was a magic moment. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Here I've been away from home now. Yeah. That was in, that was in May 26th. I'd been away since April, about a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little more, I guess. But yeah, sure. It was a special time. So what, uh, what was the next step in your career, so to speak, with, the, with baseball? You're now... With the Kenosha Comets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, traveling. I, di I didn't get to go to uh, spring training again until I graduated from high school. And that was in West Baden Springs, Indiana, 1950. So you missed spring training because of school. Because of okay. school. But by the time, where, where did you then end up with the group? I mean, if they were spring training and they went somewhere, where they did you? They had started the league. They had started play. Okay. And I think this, ha this is what I attribute some of the team pictures where we could identify the people on the teams. But some of them we couldn't identify because those were girls that were picked up in spring training and given a chance to come with the team. But in the team, games being played up to the opening of the league, then some of them then were, were let go. And then you had your, usually about 15, 16 players were all you had. Oh, okay. So that sometimes leads to misidentification of those girls who didn't make the team, but they were in spring training pictures. Gotcha. Wow, I didn't know that. But then uh, once, uh, and others I'm sure, but I was one of the ones that went to school, got to finish school, and then go play. Sure. Did you have any idea by this time about the scope of the league? I guess as I look back on it, when I went home, there was nobody there. And most of them back there didn't know anything about it. As I think back, I missed all the teenage uh, things that growing up, the going to the beaches and, and going to the ballpark to cheer for the boys. We had a church team. Uh, that type of thing, uh, but I didn't talk about it, yeah. and uh, they didn't know anything about it. That league was totally dismissed away from them. They yeah. had nothing, no idea about it. Yeah, yeah. But they followed other sports, right, like Major League Baseball and things like that, when people oh. talk about games. And oh, yeah. The boys are very active. They had all their teams. You know, the American Legion came in and organized all the boys. They had a team. And they played, and we had church league softball for the boys and all like that. But that's in the summertime. I didn't get to play any of that. American Legion came in and said, girls can't play. And that amazes me because here you've been playing professional baseball. Yeah. You'd think they'd want you on the team, but no. No way. No. Wow, wow. So um, 
1950 we're talking about now? When I graduated high school. Okay. It was, was mid-year. Okay. Remember, I had a half year I sure, had to put right, in. Right, mm -hmm. right. So you graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. And had you any idea by that time, as your parents, for example, talking about, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do when you get out of high school? Are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to be this? Did any of that kind of conversation go on? Oh, it, it had to with the family, uh, particularly my father, uh, because uh, he couldn't see educating me. I'm a girl. I have a brother 16 months younger than I am. If anybody goes to school, it will be my brother. But uh, during that time, I'm saving my money, and with my grandmother's help and my mother, I got to go to college. Uh, my, my brother went right out of high school into the Air Force, stayed in the Air Force, that type of thing. So he never wanted to go to college. Uh, and my dad in later years apologized to me about that as he was moving me from, and I'm getting all this in different times, that's and I okay. hope you can right. put that's it all okay. together yeah, later, but okay. yeah. uh, the year I got my doctorate, and he was helping me move back home after that. He had apologized to me for, you know, that particular time. But I, I because of the league, the point I want to really want to make is because of the opportunity I had to play in this baseball league, that I was able to make money, that I was able to then get my education. And that was so important to a lot of the girls that played in the league. If it had not been for that opportunity, there would have not been any college education for many of us. And it certainly was for me. Um, let's go, I'm glad we went there, but I want to go back to 1950. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. That okay. was beautiful. That was just, that was wonderful. Um, <clears throat> what, you, you did you play for another team after that, or are you still with the, the original team in no. 1950 after you graduated from high school? Well, let's see. I was in in Kenosha till right. 51. Okay. All right. So, so you went back to to, to, to play. Kenosha. I played four years in Kenosha. Okay. And I would right. go to school. I'd go back to to Kenosha. I'd right. Go to school and go back to Kenosha. Okay. And then uh, 51, I started uh, in college. 1950, okay. really. Because okay. uh, I ended up graduating January of 50. I started college in September of 50. Okay. Um, but I'm, trying, I'm trying to get, in my own mind, I'm trying okay. to get the, the, the chronology here. So did you play professional baseball while you were in college? Yes. Okay, so that's, that's where I want to go I'm next. In I'm in school. I'm at the ball game. I'm wow. in school. I'm at the team. Okay. And that's what so I where did. where you're, the the Kenosha team was a traveling team though too right no oh okay now no, I'm getting no, back on no, track no. here okay okay no okay. the Kenosha team was an established team the last year the year that it folded fifty one yeah. it did travel a lot okay but well, let's uh, go back to fifty you're going to college but mm -hmm. now you've got a team that's staying at home so you well see I'm in Alabama though when I'm in school okay college in Alabama I'm, I'm in college in okay. Alabama. All right. And then I go to Kenosha. Okay. And then when I went to Fort Wayne, then the same thing was true. My first meeting with Jimmy Fox, I, I very well remember, yeah. because uh, I didn't go until after school was out. Again, school at that time was not out until about the 1st of June. And then I reported as soon as, usually it was one day apart. I'm out of school one day, I'm on the train the next day, I'm at the ballpark, that type of thing. And the first day when 52, when I went to Fort Wayne, I met with Jimmy in the dugout, 
and first time I'd ever seen him, know that much about him. And uh, he's the the night before they had let uh, one of their rookie players uh, go to another team and open a position at second base. I had never played second base, but Jimmy says you're going to be our second baseman, and I told him I've never played second base, but he says you're our second baseman, and so. That whole year was one of my worst years that I remember, but uh, it uh, was a good year uh, in many other many other ways. But uh, well, what made it the worst year, and what made it a good year in other ways? <laughs> at, uh, my baseball uh, results were not good. Batting batting was down. I had led the Kenosha team in batting. I'm not doing that now. Uh, I'm in a strange position. But the strange position was that I was between the best shortstop in the league and also the best hitter in the league. In 19, 1952, Dottie Schroeder was the shortstop for the Fort Wayne Daisies, the only girl to play all 12 years in the, in the, season, in the league. rather. And Betty Foss, who was on first base, great big girl from southern Illinois that was the leading hitter in the league. And one night, Betty gets, one of my favorite stories, Betty gets sick, and Jimmy says, Dolly, you've been wanting to play first base. I had told him I was like first base. You've been wanting to play first base, so this is your time. So that night, we had a doubleheader, and I got to play first base. And I had the best hitting night. I think I went six for eight or something like that. And uh, then the next year, they put Betty in right field. She's still a great hitter. And they put me on first base, and now I, I out-hit her. And that, after that, I was on first base. I had earned my spot to be on first base. That's one of my favorite, favorite times. Yeah. Uh, well, you I had a bad time when, in, uh, when, you're, when you're not comfortable in the field, it affects your batting. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you either earned your place or else Jimmy finally figured out where to put you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Bill Allington the next year, but uh, that experience, I think Jimmy probably did have some influence oh, okay. passing that particular event along. Yeah. <laughs> but that's one of my favorite times. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were some of the highlights that you can think of during that period of, of particular games? or Not only for you, but maybe seeing some other player, uh, maybe a play that was really amazing. I know there's a lot of them, but just any ones that you can think of? Just, uh, it's hard to come up with just one, sure. one thing. Sure. Uh, there weren't that many home runs hit because we were playing in big fields. The, but uh, I have a ball at home that's signed by Jimmy Fox. It's my prized possession right now. I'm trying to decide where I'm going to want it to go. Uh, in August the 26th, I think it was, of 52, when I hit that home run and I've gotten the ball. And the teammates signed it, but Jimmy also signed it. He didn't sign all that much. Uh, so that's... Uh, but you were playing with great girls. I mean, girls that were really great players. I'd played with Audrey Wagner in Kenosha. And uh, the influence again, she went on to become a medical doctor. And I think the achievement of some of the girls following the times that they were in the league were very influential to me, very interesting to me what all they went on to do. Well, you know what interests me is that since you were so young, and that's a very impressionable age, mm -hmm. and impressionable can go, depending on who you're hanging out with, mm -hmm. can be very good or it can be very bad. 
And in this case, you had all these incredible examples of, of, of girls that were doing really remarkable things. And you kind of had to keep up to make sure you were being as good as they are. I mean, that's got to be good training. Well, it, so many things go back not only to the time on the field, but the time off the field. And one, one of my memories of uh, Mrs. Moore, who was the chaperone in South Bend, we were in Kenosha in the hotel, I think the Dayton Hotel. Uh, the girls, you know, you're in away from home, not much to do. They'd play cards. And so they were playing cards and playing poker, you know. And I was just watching. I wasn't playing. Mrs. Moore came in and got most upset with all them, got me out of that room. I wasn't supposed to be doing that. So that was one of my early, early remembrances. Mrs. Moore took very close account of me that whole year. In fact, uh, during practice, when the first team would practice, Jim, uh, Chet would let them go home and keep the rookies and the girls that played in the knothole gang, the younger girls in town. So some of my best friends were the younger girls in town. I wasn't able to go with my teammates to the places that they went for their entertainment and everything afterwards. Uh, but there was a, one family, particularly the McCackins, that uh, took me in. Their youngest daughter was uh, my age, and so we became best friends. And uh, that, that's another thing that will carry on over to other years when I'm in Kenosha or anywhere else. It was not uncommon for that family to show up to support me. Little personal fan club, huh? Yeah, personal, <laughs> personal fan club. That's right. That family was very important to me because I could walk from my, where I lived to the, their house. I never had a car when I was in the league. Okay. Always depended on somebody else for transportation. Let's talk about the fans. In the early days and then maybe later on in your career, I mean, how were the fans? Great. Yeah. And, you know, selective ones. But overall, the fans were, were very supportive. They really were. And then you made friends. And like I said, I made so many friends younger out in town where I played because I was so much younger than the other girls. Sure. Sure. Um, in the early days in particular, I mean, the, the most you probably had ever had in terms of a, an audience uh, uh, playing when you were, were in the, sand, the, the, the baseball teams when you were playing as a kid, mm -hmm. very different than going into a ballpark where there's paying customers out there. Mm -hmm. Can you recall maybe in the early days of what it must have been like to walk out and this is not the way it was we played in home? I don't really remember being okay. awestruck in that way. Okay. It was just uh, because by then I'd been with the team. You got you go on by the bus. You get on the bus. You get off the bus, and you're playing seven days a week. Doubleheaders on Sundays and holidays. You didn't have much off time. Uh, off time you had was getting ready to go pack and go again. So there, were, I don't remember that. Uh, certain fields you liked uh, better than others. The Grand Rapids field always had this big factory in right field. That was a problem. Uh, the, the Rockford Peaches that played in, like in a baseball, had a football stadium for part of their stands. And different fields, I remember. Yeah. And Playland Park in South Bend was, uh, had an auto racetrack around it. So those were kind of strange <laughs> situations there. But to be awestruck by because you come out early before the fans get there. You're two hours before game, you were on the field. I mean, two hours. And uh, you had batting practice, you had infield practice, you had all of that. And then you, you are for the game. Yeah. Yeah. 
How about the press? Were there uh, uh, newspaper reporters around at any time or TV cameras or things like that? No TV cameras in those well, days. Oh, yeah, but right, right. Certainly uh, there were radio people. There was an announcer at every, the, every part. And then uh, there were reporters, yes. There, they always had coverage of the games in the local papers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get interviewed? Uh, don't remember so much interviewed. Certain games that came, you know, were important. Yeah. Uh, had a good night, you know, yeah. hit, maybe hit a, uh, in the winning run or something like that. Sure. Yeah. You always have those. Did you have a scrapbook? Uh, my mother did, more so than, than myself. Uh, a lot of the things that I had in that scrapbook are in Cooperstown. They have a file on me in Cooperstown. Yeah. that uh, has a good bit, my personal letters to my family, that type of thing. So Mama was proud, huh? Mama was proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, when the, what was the last season you played? That was 50? 53. 53. So 52, you're still playing. 50, 50 you graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. 50 to 51, you're still in, you're, you're going Coaching. through college, mm -hmm. right? College. Mm -hmm. And how many years of college? Four. Four, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So all through the first three years of college, I'm you're playing, playing baseball. Mm -hmm. Okay. By that time, did it almost become routine because you're, you, you know, I mean, every year you're doing this. You're going off to play and then you're mm -hmm. going to college. And, mm -hmm. and now it's time to graduate from college. Uh, now, the year before, even though it was my best year in the league, I had some health problems, primarily anemia. Didn't eat right. I was a kid, been all those years, didn't eat right. And then I had severe anemia. And the chaperone had taken me, they'd give me booster shots of all the things they do for anemia. Well, that, that night, the first night they did that, uh, I was a leadoff hitter. And I don't remember the first inning of that game and then going down the, the steps, I passed out. <laughs> so after that, Anytime I had to take those shots for anemia, uh, they, I'd get a day off. But uh, that type of thing, you know, just uh, memories of that type of event. Chaperone would take you to the, to the doctor, have an appointment, that kind of thing. But you say it was one of your best years. Well, it was best year hitting. Yeah. I was playing first base. I'm more comfortable. Right. And Bill Allington put me as leadoff hitter. Mm -hmm. That was another one. Uh, so uh, it just uh, just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, going because of that year, yeah. where I really, though I'd had a good year, and Bill Allington one night on, in the game, I was on third base, and and I had already told him I wasn't going to come back, and then he started talking. Are you sure you know this type of thing? Yeah. He wanted me to come back, but uh, anyway, I didn't didn't go back. I said, it's time for me to go on with my career at that time. I was looking toward teaching and uh, getting started in teaching. That's another whole story as to why, because I had a job so early after I had an uncle who was superintendent of schools in Mississippi where they did play girls sports. And uh, he, he had a, a, another uh, superintendent that was needing a, a basketball coach at that particular time and a teacher. And so he helped me get an interview during spring break, spring break that year. So I made my interview, and I had a job before school was even out. Uh, but then I didn't go back to baseball. Yeah. 
as it turned out, then the 54 was the last year of the league, so worked out for me. I, I want to get into that. Um, was there any indication in the last year that you played that things were different, that the, the league may not continue on? Yes, the number of teams that were in the league had, had changed. They had the traveling teams, and I don't remember too much about the, the real history of that part because I'm, I'm playing every day. I'm moving every, every few days, and try, so I really wasn't aware of it as much as it actually was happening. It just wasn't a part of my everyday, and I wasn't one being that concerned about it. I was just playing every day. I had asked you earlier um, when you were in high school, did you know what you wanted to do? And of course you said, you know, at that age you didn't know. But when was it that you realized you knew what you wanted to do that wasn't baseball but your, your career? Uh, the teaching, the fact that in had physical education teachers that they uh, did the things that I liked to do and some of the girls that played in the league that were teachers uh, that were, were going to college for one thing. They, they motivated me to go to college, to uh, want to teach. Because that was not coming from your family. Your family was not no. saying, your father, as you said, and, and there's no blame at I'm not trying no, to uh, say no, it. But basically, he just wasn't thinking you're going to go there. But you saw the example of these other women. The, that's, what, that's what motivated me. And again, it wasn't that my father didn't want the best for me, and I always tried to bring that out. It wasn't that he didn't want me to do well or to, to have the best of things, but I had a brother. And he was supposed to get all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was that period then, uh, transition. How difficult was it? And I, I know this is maybe not even a fair question, but how difficult was it? And was there a, a, an actual time that you decided, I'm not going to play that next year. I am going to I am going to go. I don't remember any specific time, but probably my senior year okay. in college. Uh, again, I went to woman's college at that time. That was the way things done, woman's college. Uh, majored in physical education. No sports other than intramural sports. Uh, that there was nothing back home in the way of sports. Uh, I had to go to Mississippi to even teach sports. I taught in the Mississippi schools because they had girls' sports, particularly in the country schools, and that's where I started. Uh, but there weren't any opportunities for, for girls' sports, and I, I think that's one of the things that's been passionate for me, for the girls to have the opportunity to play sports. I didn't think it should only be for the boys, and I still don't think it should only be for the boys. I think there should be opportunities uh, there. That's a whole other story. Get me out of that one. <laughs> now, did you have any experience in basketball before that? I had no opportunity in basketball. Right. But you're going to be teaching basketball. Well, I, in college I learned because of your classes. I had basketball classes. In our physical education, we had activity classes and theory classes in all of sports. So uh, basketball, I ended up coaching basketball, track, tennis, you know, things of this nature, yeah. because that was the, the academic training and background that I had, but not practical coaching things except intramurally. Yeah. Now, during your college days, mm -hmm. did you, were you aware that other people, no, that's not the way I'm going to put it. During your college days, did your fellow students know that you played professional baseball? 
it kind of came that way, but I, I was late getting to college the first year. Remember, I'm playing baseball every year. I'm, I'm always late getting to school. By the time I got to school, my, the person I was supposed to room with wasn't even there. I'm getting another roommate. Uh, that type of thing was always a problem. I was late getting to school. All the introductions and orientations had already been done, and here I come on uh, late. So it was always a little bit of a problem. And uh, other than some of my closer friends, people that were in my academic area where most of my classes were together, they knew. But that was, uh, and they didn't understand, but they knew I was coming in late. Didn't happen to have a Spanish teacher in college that gave you trouble too, did you? No, <laughs> no more Spanish. Um, I want to go back to the conversation that you had, if you can recall it, with your manager. It wasn't Jimmy, it was the new, what was the, 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 the last manager you had? Uh, Bill Allington. Yeah. What was that conversation like where he tried to convince you to stay? Well, the, the biggest part was that one night, that one night on third base in the middle of the game. That was uh, kind of strange. Uh, there must have been a timeout or something, and, and he was talking to me. I guess he'd gotten word that I wasn't planning to return the next year, and he was wanting to talk to me about it. Now, Bill was the one that, in, after the league folded, that put together a team of players, and they traveled and played against the men. Okay, I had been out of the league for a whole year teaching, and he still contacts me. It was contacting me to come and join that group. But I did not. I said, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm happy. I'm stay where I am. I'd had enough of that traveling around. That's, uh, you know, seven years of suitcases and traveling and hotels and that type of thing. What was his main argument about why you should stay? He wanted me on his team. I guess some position maybe. Or I, at that time, I was having a good year. And... Uh, he certainly had been aware of the years he was in the league as a manager. And that, in my opinion, he was the best baseball man that I played under. Uh, Chet Grant was, I think, very good for me because he was a teacher. I think if my memory and the things I've learned later that he was a quarterback for Newt Rockney at Notre Dame. So his background was, it was in that part of sports. Uh, Johnny Gottsleek was my other manager in Kenosha, and he was a, a Chicago hockey player, but he was a scout for Mr. Wrigley, uh, how he got into ba the baseball part of it. But as far as uh, Jimmy was a nice guy, and of course he got so much of the publicity that year. But uh, Bill Allington, who had been a minor league player, was the best baseball man. He taught you baseball. During the period of time that you were playing, uh, through our conversation here, through the time you were playing, you were always concentrated on the playing, and of course you also had school, and then playing, and then school, and then playing. Was there any sense during that period that you were doing, and your fellow players were doing anything remarkable beyond just playing baseball, and the fact that you were girls playing baseball? Just having fun. You're just having fun. Made a lot of friends had friends in the towns where we played, got to do things that other people didn't get to do, opportunities that uh, they didn't have. 
and when you go back home, nobody knows where you've been and what you've been up to. They just know you've been away. It was a, it was a strange happening in that, that respect. When did you, when in your life, and I don't mean exactly a date or a time, mm -hmm. but when in your life did you realize that other people recognized that period of time of being very special? I mean, you knew it was special because you played, mm -hmm. but now we're talking about a totally different thing. In history, people are looking back on that period and saying this was so unique and it had all this impact. When did that dawn on you or did it dawn on you? I don't think it dawned on the people in my environment as to where I live. I'm in South Alabama, then in Mississippi where I taught, and now in Arkansas where I live, uh, until the movie came out, uh, the, the movie A League of Their Own, until that came out. And also the recognition by Baseball Hall of Fame in 88, uh, after we became an organization or an association, uh, that we tried to help with that. That, I think, was a, a first step there, and that's how Penny Marshall got hold of, of things, too, was showing up in 88 when we were there uh, doing that recognition at Cooperstown. The movie portrayed, and I don't want to get into the movie just at, at this moment, but mm -hmm. uh, Gina Davis's reluctance to go to that, what was your reaction to being informed that you're being inducted, did you get invited to go? I was, I was there. Okay. Yeah, so, was, what was you see where I'm going with this? I, I kind of want to know, what was your reaction to this happening? And did you say, oh yeah, I'm going to go, or just, did you think about it? Or, well, it's, uh, I guess the interesting part is one of my colleagues that I was teaching with, I invited her to go with me. Of course, she didn't know anything. She had played sports in high school. She was a physical education teacher like myself. Uh, but I invited her to go to Cooperstown with me, and I think that was uh, exciting. I had been to the first reunion in uh, Chicago. Uh, even my husband went with me in 82 when we went to that. Uh, but kind of hard to put it all together in your head to see exactly, but Betty Wallace, who was a colleague, went with me to Cooperstown and uh, was with me during that. And I was just kind of the kid on the block. You know, the older gals were there, but I was one of them and that, that type of thing. We traveled together and had to fly into uh, Buffalo, I guess it was, and get a car to drive to Cooperstown because that wasn't an easy place to get to. And uh, got to be there with people that I hadn't seen in a while. It was an exciting time. How? Well, what was the reaction of going in there and seeing all that stuff? There was displays. I remember, I remember being at the uh, display area when, you know, that was when I think it was really taking hold, at the display area in Cooperstown. And you'd sit around and hear everybody talking. That's what Penny Marshall was doing, too, with her tape recorder. When you get together, you talk about the old times, you know, what it was like, where you lived, what you did. Uh, but... It was on, I guess that's when it really kind of, that was really something kind of special. But until that was made in a movie and somebody else knew about it. Now, in the areas where the teams were, in Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, where the teams played, then a lot of the fans were still there. But in my part of the world, they'd never heard of it. You'd say something, I remember fellows I coached with. They, oh, no, you, 
you didn't do that. You know, that didn't happen. You're telling me one, you know, that type of thing. And I found one fellow I coached with that finally said, okay, you're, you're an athlete. Because the girls hadn't, didn't have that much background at that particular time. So I got to go down and work out with the team. But, uh, and everywhere I've been, I've, I've been initiating girls' sports. That was something I, I thought was important. So I've been able to be active in that. Why did you go to the first reunion? Just wanted to see everybody. Uh, that went in Chicago. Uh, my husband was willing to go with me. Yeah. Uh, that type of thing. Well, he had his, never heard anything about it either. Yeah, what, was his, what was his reaction to, to having all <laughs> Well, he, he, he went with me to support yeah. me, but uh, he didn't really know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, you didn't talk about it, huh? No, you, you'd go home and you wouldn't talk about it. There would be no one there to talk to about it. You know, you didn't want to go around broadcasting all the time. So you, unless somebody asked you a question or something, yeah. you just didn't talk about it. It was another world. Yeah. Uh, even the, the boys I grew up with, playing ball on the playground with in later years, they didn't know where I'd been either. Yeah. And we uh, had a, a fellowship of those people called the Pritchard Kids for many years. Just last year we lost contact with so many. I still hear from some, but we used to have an annual reunion of those kids that we grew up with, went to church with. These were church people. That was another error. Yeah. Two more for you. <clears throat> One is, how did that experience of playing professional baseball affect you personally in terms of how the person that you are today? What was it about that time? Was there any effect that happened during that time that kind of determined or molded or shaped the person that you are today? Certainly. Uh, the travel, the exposure to girls from so many different places. I've always uh, really appreciated that. I've always been interested in people. Uh, and one of the things about teaching, you're interested in people and in opportunities wherever I've been to, to provide sports, particularly for girls, because that's been my area, uh, recreation. And, uh, but uh, the fact that you can help, help make it better for somebody else, I think that's a part of it too. Uh, I still have a sports nut, I guess you'd say, because I, wherever I've been, I've supported all the sports. Uh, and try, just tried to make things better for the next group coming on. And I've started uh, programs uh, in a softball program when I have to start in, the, they won't let us use a little league field to play on. We have to go in front of a dormitory at the university uh, where there's no, we made a field out of it. And then even uh, to go to Little League Field, and we have to wait till the boys get through in, in July before they'd even let us go on the field. And, you know, to put up with things like that. And, and some of the girls that now have gone on to be productive citizens and doing good in our community, that came from those little girls' softball programs that we started. And from that, the women's programs grew from that. Uh, to see that makes you feel good that uh, girls are having opportunities today to do things that they never had a chance to do before. And that leads me to my last one. This is kind of the, the big one, the big question. 
And uh, in terms of history, American history, in terms of the history of, of we as a people, where, where do you think your little group fits into that whole big scheme of things? The changing lives of women. Uh, I think World War II was the really big one for my generation. The, uh, the times changed. Women had to leave the home and the kitchen. And uh, the statement in the, in the movie that you know, stands out, and now that the men are coming back, you women get back in the kitchen. I'm sorry, you've opened the door of opportunity and we're not in the kitchen. We're out in the world being productive and doing other things and having other opportunities. Opportunity is the key word. You have to have an opportunity. What would my life have been without that opportunity that someone saw something in me that they thought would do something in baseball and I got the opportunity to do that? Do I have any other skills that would have gotten me the door that opened for me to have an education, to travel, to meet all these people, to have friends all over the country? and uh, to travel to Cuba. And you know th these were the things. It's opportunity. I don't care what it is that you do. If you don't have a, if you have the greatest of skill but you have no opportunity to use it, it's completely lost. We have to have opportunity uh, to do things. And we're still on the threshold of that in women's baseball because we're trying to get it into the Olympics now. And I've been trying to support the girls that are trying to play baseball today. Uh, and we do have a number of them. Some of them are right here in this program we're doing today. There is a Team USA women's baseball. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm hoping one day that we're going to have the women to play that again. Because uh, there are, it's okay if there's okay in one sport and someone is just uh, written me uh, some things in the email. Say, girls just want to play baseball too, and softball is not the same game. The preceding program is copyrighted by Grand Valley State University. Visit us at gbsu.edu.